Welcome to another episode of At Home With Leaders, the series that is part of the Leaders Performance Podcast. Its aim is to unearth stories and insights from the top people within high performance and what they're doing as sport returns to our lives and edges back to some sort of new normality. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I'd like to say hello again to all the returning listeners and a big welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you with us. In a moment, we'll be having a conversation with Kevin Abrams, discussing how he and the New York Giants have welcomed players back to the facility ahead of the new season, the ever-changing approach to talent ID, as well as rebuilding and redefining their organisational culture. Some varied topics, but all ones that are in the minds of our members and across our network. Evaluating and debriefing is actually the topic of our virtual roundtable next week, with another around the topic of performing under pressure in early September. Both relevant topics at this present time, of course. If you'd like to find out more about our events, content, virtual learning and networking by becoming a member of our unrivaled network of the world's high performance community that challenges the thinking and shares insights spanning all sports and all aspects of performance, then please visit leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. Now, on to today's episode. As always, it's a pleasure to have my co-host from California alongside me once again. It's founder and CEO of Gaines Group, Mr. Steve Gira. How are you and how is LA this morning, Steve? Morning, Matt. LA's great. It's starting to get super hot here. Man, over the weekend, I spent this is like the first weekend I actually spent like really watching sports, which was fun because I was actually watching with my four-year-old daughter. I had a chance to watch the Diamond League track and field. Um, had a chance to watch a couple NHL games, some NBA games, and uh, some Major League Baseball. But as you know, I'm getting uh, really excited about uh, the NFL starting. So even though right now it feels like we're in like the intermission between the first and second period of an NHL game that we're pretty sure is going to go six overtimes, um, we got we got the NFL coming back, and, uh, and and I'm really excited to talk to our guest today. Good stuff. Well, our guest today is someone who's been in his current role for around 20 years, I believe, in the organization itself since 1999, not wanting to make you feel well. But it's Assistant General Manager of the New York Giants. It's Kevin Abrams. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. It's great to be with you guys. You too. How's uh, how's New York today? You're at the stadium, correct? We are. We're at MetLife Stadium today. New York is doing well. I live on the Upper East Side and it's peaceful. It's quiet. It's slower than usual, but it's been blue skies for most of the last month or so. Uh, we're three weeks into training camp, two days into pads, and it's great to be back on the grass. So all is well here. It doesn't sound too dissimilar weather-wise to London, but not quite as hot as you and LA, Steve. Well, we, we delve straight into it. And, uh, you know, like Steve said in the intro there, you know, edging closer to the return of the NFL season. Obviously, a lots of measures still in place. Uh, everyone's still probably a little bit unsure how the season will look. But how have you and the Giants been planning and preparing throughout lockdown for the new season? Yeah, it's been an interesting exercise. Uh, it's been, for, you know, for five months now, it's been all hands on deck. It's where were we even going to have training camp? We, we were considering offsite and then that became a non-option. So then to do it at home, our facility didn't allow for safe social distancing for what at the time was 90 and now it's an 80 man roster. So we were able to move over to MetLife Stadium, which provides us with bigger spaces to meet. We had to turn some concourse type areas indoor and out into weight rooms. We've converted a lot of spaces into meeting rooms and office space. Thankfully we had locker rooms here already. So it was a pretty easy transition for some of what we needed. It's been remarkably smooth, which, you know, there's a ton of people that don't normally get a lot of credit that deserve a whole lot of credit, you know, certainly facilities and, our IT and our, our data folks have, have allowed us to mimic what we normally do as best as possible. And we can go about doing what we normally do, which is trying to get this team ready. And it's just been such a big, big lift. 
Um, and it happens in such small increments that you don't always notice how much of a massive job has been done just to get to this point. But if you take a step back, it, it really is quite remarkable what a small group of people, well, a big group of people, but, but what they've been able to accomplish in a, in a relatively short period of time. It's, it's amazing. And Kevin, so I'm guessing that you are as good at scenario planning as you've ever been. And I'm guessing that that's something that you've gotten, you and, and the people around yourself inside the organization have gotten a heck of a lot better at um, over the last couple of months. But what are there other things that you've learned about yourself or learned about the organization over the last couple of months? We found a lot of leaders have, upon reflection, viewed um, the shutdown and then everything that went into the reboot at this point as a really great learning lessons. And they found out things either about themselves or about their organizations. So any lessons as you reflect over the last few months? I think what I'm most excited about is that I've come to realize that we're much more agile and adaptable than I ever gave us credit for being. You know, we've been around for a long time and we've done business a certain way for a long period of time. And we've had a lot of conversations over the last five, 10 years, especially about being a little more forward thinking and getting out of our comfort zone and adopting some new uh, methods and methodologies like a lot of places, you know, change resistance is human nature, I think. And that's certainly been something that was easily identifiable in our building. And then all of a sudden now there is no resisting change. Change is just happening. And, you know, when you're a bit of a change resistant organization, or at least I thought we were, and you get into a position at a point in time where change is no longer something you can risk, it's just happening that, you know, you didn't know how we were going to react. And I've been so impressed from from top to bottom and, and across departments. And, you know, we're very capable of change and it's it's good to know that we can do it. And it's also a good thing now we can remind everyone that, you know, we can do this on the regular. You know, we can constantly be looking for new ways to do things and we can take what has worked out of this that might be something we want to incorporate into how we operate, you know, when we do get back to life as usual, which hopefully is not too far off into the distance. And and our capacity for adjusting and, and being able to thrive in uncertain and uncomfortable and unfamiliar environments, you know, we're, we're pretty good at it. Having listened to a number of these at-home podcasts, which have been terrific, I mean, I think we would echo a lot of what everyone else has said. That, you know, A, we, we're recognizing how much more we're able to do remotely than we've ever been able to do before. And there's so many benefits that come with that. But beyond just the remote work, I mean, it's the capacity for change and adjustment and adaptability is, is far greater than I ever gave us credit for. So that organization, I think that's probably what I've learned about us. And, and personally, you know, I've learned that I can cook a little, which not great, not a good cook, but I've, I've never had to do it much before. And I had a good <laughs> four or five months there where I was making, I made more meals in four months than I probably made the previous 10 years and, and would have made in the next five. So, you know, you pick up little personal skills here and there, some out of necessity and, and some because the situation lent itself to it. So that's been it's been uh, some good family time and I've, I've been able to, to contribute to the family in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise. So that's been that's been a real positive. Which, what's your go to meal now? Are you, you, you and did you break bread or did you actually go out there and actually learn how to bake bread like a lot of folks? Or uh, what's your what's your go to meal? I'm still pretty simple in the kitchen and, and my kids, um, which I guess for a novice cook, it's, it's a good thing. They're pretty picky eaters still. They haven't quite found their adventurous palate yet, but they um their go-to is steak. So we were uh, out of the city for a little bit and I had the for good fortune of having a barbecue. So to be able to do that most days was great because it was something that I knew I liked and I knew they would eat. So it was a, a lot of steak, a lot of barbecuing. As they get a little older, hopefully they'll challenge me a little more and I can expand my, my repertoire a little bit. 
That's that's great. Now, um, for for a lot, a good portion of the listeners, a lot of Americans who listen to this, but then also a lot of folks from Europe who, like, when you think about an NFL roster, you have three times the amount of players that you have on a Premier League roster, and the, the complexity and like the closeness of everyone. Um, some of the some of the protocols are a little bit more difficult to to necessarily follow s- straight out. So, can, can you take us through, like, you know, as many sports are returning, you know, here in the U.S. You know, the NBA and MLS were able to go into a bubble. That's just probably not, you know, realistic for the NFL, obviously. So how have you found return to play? And, and can you give us a little bit of a glimpse as to what some of the protocols and some of the inside, you know, learnings are so far from uh, starting off training camp and what you guys are expecting over the next couple of months as you start to play games? Sure. I mean, I, I, first of all, I mean, I, I wish it would have been a big sacrifice, but I, I wish we had all been put into a bubble, quite honestly. I would rest a little easier, and we went into this eyes wide open knowing that without a bubble, and I understand why we don't. I mean, it's not a, a, I'm not being critical of the, the final decision not to be in a bubble, but that's just a personal opinion. But the fact that we've got everyone going home at night, myself included, we've done a lot of messaging, and really we started from the back in March, you know, when we were first communicating with our players and our coaches about the pandemic and the virus and, and how serious it was. And we've continued to do so. And, and I think our players have done a good job of, of hearing the message, our coaches too. And they understand that this isn't just, you know, these protocols aren't in place just to keep them safe, it's to keep everyone else safe, it's to keep their families safe. And once they're out of the building, you know, they understand that those responsibilities are and very honestly, they go up because here we've got a, a bit of a bubble. We've been able to create our own little ecosystem here where we've got our testing outside and we've got our social distancing and everything is mapped out and marked out and, and everything is arranged just so, so that we are always in the safest possible environment while we're doing this work for, for many hours a day. But going home, you know, everyone's going to have to create their own rules, their own habits. They're going to have to handle their own social distancing and wearing masks and cleaning their hands and, and also managing their own families, just as I do. And it's it's a big task and it's hard. And it, it means you have to, and we've all had to do it, you know, when we're at home and we have to tell family that they can't do something they wanted to. And it might seem like a very safe thing and they feel very confident that the people they want to do it with will be safe to do it with. Um, but unfortunately, it provides a slightly larger probability of risk that it's not just them that's taking that risk. Not that I want my kids taking any kind of risk whatsoever, but, you know, whereas if it was just us and I wasn't going to work every day, maybe I would think that, okay, I mean, I know that family, I know those kids, I know that they've been doing the same things we've been doing and I trust their ability to do things the right way. And But when you throw in the, but I'm also going to come back and come to work with 80 players and 25 coaches and another, whatever we have here, 30 staff and, and whatever risk I allow my kids to take, I'm taking. Whatever risk I take, I bring to the Giants. And there's only really one thing that brings this season to a crashing halt, and that's an outbreak. And no one wants to be, you know, patient zero of, you know, their organization's outbreak. So it's hard. You have to deny people you love from doing things they want to do sometimes. And that's just the sacrifice we're making, which, you know, goes back to my original point that, you know, I kind of wish... As much as I'd hate to be away from my family, you know, being in a bubble will allow them to, again, not be risk takers, but it would probably allow them to be a little more um, social. I wouldn't have the same concerns about them going back to school and then coming home and then me going to work. Or if there is no school, do we do, you know, a small group, you know, pod of learning where it's three kids from the same class that might go from house to house to house and, and do their online learning together as opposed to isolated in their own houses? 
I don't know that's an option for us, the National Football League, because we have to return to work every day. So it's just those kinds of considerations that you know, we're telling everyone to be mindful of when they go home. And, uh, and to this point, um, knock on wood, we've had, we've had uh, really good results. It's a huge amount to consider from yourself as a leader across an organisation. Is there a lot of trust you have to put in the athletes then, I guess, and the staff? You know, lots of new protocols, lots of new structures. I presume there's got to be a, a lot more trust throughout the organisation that everyone's you know, behaving and approaching it in the correct manner. I mean, a lot of it's 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 an unconditional trust, and it's trust that you're putting in people. I know in, in our position, I mean, we've got a brand new coaching staff, and our roster is largely there's more newness in our building probably than we've had in most years. And we have me having all that newness during a pandemic, and we're putting a lot of faith into people that, quite honestly, we're still getting to know a little bit. So that's that's awkward, but that's the leap of faith we're having to take right now. And all the more reason why our messaging and communicating to our players and staff and coaches is is more important than, than maybe anything else we're doing right now. So, so Kevin, and I, I, I want to I want to really drive into um, the newness around your building with the new staff and everything. But staying on kind of the what's shaking out here with COVID, have you seen the returning players act differently at all? For like some of the teams that uh, that we've seen come back to play, um, the players were so excited to to finally be back in their element that they really took responsibility very you know the responsibility of coming back and, and playing and responsibility of preparing themselves very very seriously across other sports and and it hasn't been universal but um, I'm curious like your players you I know you have a, a young roster but have you have you seen your returning players act differently in all as they've come back into the building I don't know that I would call it acting differently again I think it goes back to our newness is that the atmosphere is very much, there's kind of a, a hyper-focus to it because we knew that um, this goes back to, to March even, but especially now that we've opened training camp, I think everyone recognizes that you know, with the new coaching staff and a lot of new players that you know, we already had a bit of a disadvantage when it came to coming together because we didn't have the time together that the Philadelphia Eagles do, for example, with Doug Peterson and their staff and Howie Roseman and the roster they've built, which is a veteran group, and they've played together for a while. We don't have that benefit, so we knew going into this offseason we had to be we had to be very mindful of the fact that we were playing from behind. And then you throw in a pandemic and a remote uh, college draft process, and then you throw in a remote offseason workout program or or, or offseason program. There really wasn't a workout component to it this year, and now a training camp that's being done in our facility in our stadium instead of our facility. You know all these things that sort of would normally you'd look at as challenges. You know, we've had to look at it as as opportunities to to close that gap. You know, we have to win the pandemic or we have to out pandemic Dallas, Philadelphia and Washington because you know, we were starting off behind. And I think everyone's done that. Uh, we'll see how much it benefits us once we get on the field. But I think that to this point, we're really happy with the outcome so far, because I think everyone was dialed in knowing that, you know, this is was already going to be a unique year because it was year one with the coaching staff. And beyond that, just within our football operations, there had been a tremendous amount of change. And because we had all this change and newness happening at one time and we were thrust into a, a pandemic, it had everyone sort of focused on, all right, how are we going to turn this to an opportunity to close the gap as opposed to falling further behind? We were talking with uh, John Thornton from uh, LAFC, uh, the GM for LAFC um, last week. And uh, one of the points he made was that he felt like his team's discipline can be a competitive advantage for them uh, in the upcoming season and, and, and what they've played so far. 
you obviously have a young stat or a young a young roster as you as you've mentioned, and it might still be too early to tell. But do you think that having a young roster, a new coach who can really grab their attention and really drive in that discipline, do you think that that can turn into a competitive advantage for for you guys this year? Um, and if not this year, maybe just you know in in the in in the future as you guys mature as an organization, you can always look back at at this as being kind of like the the catalyst for the rebuild of the of the New York Giants. Uh, I, I think so, and we're counting on it. I think that you know the the youth of our roster and the newness of our program. You know, we're not having to break habits. Forget, forget about whether or not they're good habits or bad habits, but habits we're going to have to change this year just because the circumstances under which we're operating and you know, changing habits are, are tough for anybody. But I think because of, you know, like we already talked about our youth and our and the newness of our program, you know, those habits weren't quite as ingrained. So for us to ask players to make adjustments and, and coaches to make adjustments to, um, you know, we don't have a long history of what the normal is for this group of giants that, you know, making changes and doing things the best way for 2020, given the environment, wasn't that hard an adjustment for us to make. And in some cases, it wasn't an adjustment at all. It's just the way this program's going to work this year. No, I don't want to make you feel old, Kevin, but I think it's 99 you took, you know, took your first job in with, with the Giants and nearly 20 years since you're you in the assistant general manager role. Now, I know it's not the same role as when you took it. It's, it's not your first rebuilding job and you've seen a huge amount of success since you've been a, with, with the organization. But how does the role that you're in now compare to when, you know, to, to how it was previously, not, not just when you started, but also, you know, looking at the different areas and different phases, you know, how, how much has the role of an assistant general manager changed in the NFL and indeed at, at Giants? Uh, I think it's similar to how, I mean, my boss's role has changed tremendously, the general manager's job and, and the head coach's job. I mean, they, so much in football operations used to be very siloed, coaches coached, personnel people evaluated, um, and there wasn't much to it besides that. You had a medical department and equipment staff and a video department. Now we've got so many more pieces and everyone has to be a little more fluent in all these different subjects and topics so that we can make everything work together um, and take advantage of all the resources and, and the different expertise we have in the building, all of which can affect our ability to, to win and lose on Sundays. You know, everyone has to be a bit, has to be able to have those conversations in every department. You know, in our coaching staff, we have to have at least a bare minimum of technical and data fluency. And the same thing with our personnel departments and, and vice versa. We're constantly trying to teach our support staff more about the game, you know, whether it's our video, our data, our IT, we want them to understand, you know, they don't have to call a game on Sunday, but we have to have a bare minimum understanding of the game allows them to have and enter conversations with end users about what they're, what support they're providing. And those conversations have, they have a great attraction and we get to solutions that are long lasting and better than they would be otherwise. Cause we, we've seen it operate the other way when if the expertise is so limited to just that area of expertise, those conversations require interpreters, projects and efforts and initiatives tend to die in the vine a little bit. And then they have to be restarted again, you know, after a season, as opposed to being able to, to continue on while we're playing football. That, that's the hardest thing about bringing new initiatives to a football department is that we get so myopic in season, whether we're evaluating or whether we're coaching, that we don't want to talk about, you know, the next um, initiative that can help us with our tech and our data. And those people that are working on those initiatives can't do it without the feedback from the people, the end users on the coaching and the scouting departments. But you know, as we increase the fluency across departments, you know, those projects can continue. 
and develop and progress and meet deadlines because they can be worked on while those end users are busy doing what it is that they do. And Kevin, so, you know, you've got a new head coach, you got a new coaching staff, you know, how are they, how are they, how are they integrating this, their, their new, the new culture that, that they're bringing to the club? Um, how are they integrating that with those people who you've had in place and you're bringing those new initiatives to the forefront? Um, how, how's that integration going so far? It's been great to this point. I mean, we've, we've done kind of, you know, we talked about fluency before across departments, and we've tried to embed everyone in our football operations into what our coaching staff is when they meet, when they're in front of the players, when they're putting together um, our off-season program. And obviously there's had to be more collaboration between them and other departments because we're working remotely. So they've had to spend more time with our tech and data people. And we've probably had more meetings between personnel and coaching staff just because we're not able to do it live and in person. So sometimes we would double down, just make sure that you know, we all are on the same page after the last remote session, you know, much more debrief after meetings just because we want to make sure nothing got lost because we're working in a virtual environment. So because we've had so much, everyone's been more embedded into what the coaching staff is trying to build from their end. I think we're able to echo top down what it is the coach judge and his staff wants to communicate to their players. And that becomes a message now that not just the coaching staff, but the entire building is able to help convey to the players as well. Can you give us a little bit of a glimpse as to what, as to what that message is? I mean, I read, uh, I read overnight that, um, you know, coach judge had, had both the players and the coaches running, uh, running gassers yesterday. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're a young team um, and well, first and foremost, I mean, the, the message every day is starting off with COVID-19. I mean, that's that's every day and, and that has to be every day because that's the one thing that can bring this whole thing down. So to continue to pound on that message, he's, and he's stressing the fact that he wants to make sure that everything we do is in the interest of player safety and well-being, which, which they have to know that because if they don't trust us, then all of this becomes a moot point. So that, that's the, the first message that we're, we're talking about each and every day. Not only just an exciting young coach, but an exciting young quarterback as well. Um, obviously, the latter's had some game time under his belt now, but um, you know, how has the rebuild or, or the new era been from that perspective with two such important figures, clearly the sense of anything that you're going to achieve as an organisation? So... Um, I guess it's a, it's a unique circumstance in a U.S. sport compared to maybe European sport where you can be in that scenario. But how how is exciting is it to see you know those those leaders emerge both on the field and, and I guess on the coaching staff and, and how's it been from that perspective? It's, it's interesting that I mean obviously the first the two most important hires we're going to make in this building are going to be our head coach and our quarterback. So you know Daniel's in year two, Joe's in year one. So far they're off to a great relationship. I think. Um, it's never ideal to be switching systems um, so early in a quarterback's career, but that's the situation that we're in. And uh, thankfully, Jason Garrett's already built up a great relationship with Daniel, and it's been nothing but positive so far. I think the working relationships have been great, and we're excited about, you know, again, it's a young, young roster, and that's good because now they can develop together. To this point, I think um, that there, there's there's something about them coming to the league at similar times. I mean, Daniel Saquon. I mean, the last three draft class really, they're going to hopefully hit their stride at the same time. And, and at that point, we think it's a really talented group, and we're looking to see, looking forward to seeing what they can accomplish together. Absolutely, and like you said, some some new recruits to the door in recent weeks, uh, alongside some of the returning players. How does onboarding look right now? I mean, it must be different than it ever has been, yeah, for the obvious reasons, but 
um, you know, onboarding new talent in an organization, is, is it look very much the same despite COVID or um, has there been restrictions? How, how have you approached um, approached that, bringing new people into the building? You know, I think because of all the precautions and protocols that we have to take, everything is a little more cumbersome right now. Taking players off and, and replacing them on our roster isn't quite the, the you know, one-day transaction that it used to be. Obviously, we've got a series of COVID testing and then physical exams and I believe it's five days from beginning to end before you can bring a player in and put them on to when you can put them on the field. So as you're managing your roster and you're trying to make sure you've got enough players at each position for all the practice reps you want to get through, um, it can be a bit of a challenge to this point. So far, we have not been uh, hammered with a, a run of injuries at one position that have left us really shorthanded or, or required a lot of altering of our practice scripts. But, you know, that's that's always just a day away. In the meantime, we're trying to remain as prepared as we can for any position that we might be shorthanded at. But it's, you know, again, it, it's just cumbersome. But that's, you know, us and 31 other teams are all working through the same issues. And all you can do is prepare and adjust. So, Kevin, like, you know, we, we've got not only the NFL season kicking off, but SEC just announced, um, like, when – when and where teams are uh, scheduled to play, um, you know, Pac-12 and other conferences not playing till spring. Um, how is that? How, how is what college is doing going to affect um, the draft process and the evaluation process for your scouts? You're not only looking I mean, right now, training camp just begun, began, and, and you're obviously hyper-focused on what's happening on the field um, there at the stadium. But uh, but but are you are you already starting to think through? Hey, how do we how do we make sure that we're prepared for the draft and, and what comes in the spring? It's I mean right now we're we're operating largely in the dark. I mean we don't know entirely yet. I mean we've got some obviously some conferences have made some announcements about when and if they'll be playing and and we'll be prepared to scout those schools accordingly. But we don't know how many schools we'll get to see. We don't know if our scouts will be able to get to those schools to see the games. We don't know if they'll be able to visit campuses. We don't know if there'll be a combine. We don't know if there'll be all-star games. So it's there's just a lot of unknown right now, and we're preparing for every possible scenario. We're trying to find other avenues to get the information that we need about these prospects playing and otherwise. But again, I think as things become a little clearer, you know, we'll be able to, to remove some of these scenarios that will no longer become applicable. But it's just, you know, day by day, more information is available and we prepare. And it's no different than any other department. You know, we've asked everyone to be prepared for, you know, whether our season gets paused, our season gets canceled, whether college gets canceled, whether it's part of a season, whether it's a spring season, you know, be prepared for every scenario. And uh, I imagine like any industry and any business right now, we're also reminding people that, you know, this might not be as labor intensive a year because of limits on the work you would traditionally do as part of your job, that this is also an opportunity for some professional development. So, you know, while we wait for more guidance about what college will look like, we've also told our college scouts that you know, there are things that we'd like them to be working on. And um, until we know more, you know, they'll continue to work on that. And then as college allows us into their buildings or they don't, or to their games where they don't, or we get a sense of what the all-star game and, and combine season will look like or won't, we'll, adjust accordingly that's the best we can do right and that's basically how we're operating everywhere it's just you know you get the information you have and you you adjust it's you know i think it was thomas dimitrov on on your podcast kept preaching that you know in their building it's the two things they keep preaching is adaptability and respect the pandemic and and we've borrowed that 
a thousand times between you know the start of this thing and today. And you have, and, and, and that's great. And you, you've also over the last couple of years, you've uh, you know we've had a number of different conversations, and I know you've got Ty and your group there who have been building out your analytics uh, department um, and some of the initiatives around that. Um, and, and I know you mentioned it briefly before, but do, do you feel like having that set up? you know, right now can, can at least give you a, a, a little bit of an advantage over other teams that don't have anything set up when it comes to being able to, you know, at least look at data over the course of the last two to three seasons for uh, some of the, some of the college juniors and seniors who may enter the draft, but you may not have, you know, uh, you know, what a scout would probably term is adequate tape on um, for the, uh, for, for this season. Do, do you feel like that can end up helping you guys? And, and how are you thinking about, you know, building out some of the initiatives around your analytics department this season to, to potentially answer the mail on, you know, making sure that your scouts are as prepared as they've ever been for, uh, for the draft? I mean, certainly, you know, what we were talking about just a few minutes ago, I mean, we don't know what information we'll have relative to what we normally gather through our scouting process. We don't know if we'll have the same access to information, whether it's eyes on players, um, background, time spent with those players and interviews. So with the potential of having a deficit of information, at least traditional information, we're certainly, we'd be doing it anyways. I think everyone's trying to use analytics as best they can to help all of their processes, scouting included. But certainly now there's there's an emphasis and it's, it's always been a priority, but we're, we're sort of throwing more into it because we know that we might need it more than ever because we might have that lack of traditional information on these prospects. So certainly it's, it's a big point of emphasis. We'll see how much progress we can make in a short period of time and we'll have the, the data and the analysis that we've used recently and traditionally, but, you know, it's a short turnaround until we'll be in meetings about next year's draft class. And and we're hoping that we'll be able to augment what we've traditionally done and what we might be missing this year. You know, hopefully our data department can certainly help fill in some of the gaps. But yes, to answer your question, it's, it's a big priority and a big point of emphasis right now. Well, I think, I think that's an interesting point there because I think a lot of folks in the NFL have been resistant to, at least teams that I've talked to who have been resistant to analytics. They've always viewed it as Something that's trying to replace decision making—that's really like you know the sum of it that, that I typically get. But you just hit the nail on the head. It's really about filling in the gaps, and there are going to be gaps of information. There, there are every single year, but there are going to be gaps of information. And this year, unlike any other, just because of the circumstances that we're all dealing with. So I, I really got to believe that that teams that are really going to be thinking about innovative initiatives that they can you know launch over the course of the next couple months um, are going to be the things that, you know, listen, you, you may not, not all of them are going to be hundred percent successful, but you've never had a greater opportunity to throw spaghetti against the wall and just try things out and try and, you know, try and find any way, shape or form to make better decisions over the coming, uh, coming months. But, you know, it's, but for, for teams, it can be a little scary because at the same time, you got to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is, you know, you know, winning the pandemic every single morning, like you said, um, making sure that you have enough, you know, capability and resources um, in order to, you know, spend money on obviously your staff and your players, but all the other additional costs that go into, you know, trying to play in the midst of a pandemic. So a lot of times people, I think, you know, at least what I'm starting to see is a little bit of resistance to, to that idea of, you know, throwing spaghetti against the wall because people don't want to free up funds um, necessarily to do that or resources to do that. So how how has the response been from your ownership group, um, who you know who've owned the team for a long time, um, and have uh, have consistently made you know the Giants a, a special place to play football? How how has how has their support been 
um, in the midst of uh, this pandemic? And, and, and how do you see it kind of evolving in the future? I um, mean, their support has been critical and unwavering. I mean, it's without going into details of it, because I don't know that I know them well enough to, to really rhyme them off. But the, the financial impact of this pandemic is going to be um, you know, significant is an understatement. And they've been, you know, operating in a pandemic is more expensive than operating under normal circumstances. And, and they've given us every resource we've needed to provide the safest environment and allow us to as closely mimic our normal operating procedures as possible while we're doing it, whether it was remotely um, for the last four months or for the last month since we moved into MetLife Stadium. Obviously, all of us have to be mindful of costs associated with what we're doing, but our ownership has been remarkably supportive. And at a time when it was really, this would be a good time to be scaling back. I mean, you know, just as an example, I mean, our data and innovation department, which they've been investing in for the last three years, we probably made our biggest ever investment in it this year. And there was never a, a request to pull the brakes. It was full steam ahead. They understand the value of it. They're 100% in. And that faith they put into that initiative has helped paid off, I think, in, in a large in a large way because this pandemic has required our scouting and our coaching departments to be more involved with our data innovation and technical people because of the remote environment that we're working in. And so we've, I think we've benefited from having this new staff. We've had a lot of change in our scouting departments and that they've been um, working hand in hand with people that otherwise would be maybe more in the shadows. The fact that they've had more face-to-face and collaborative work with all of these people. I think that we've now embedded tech and data into our coaching and scouting more than I think we're now where we maybe hope we would be a year or two from now just because of familiarity and because they've worked on projects together and they've seen successes together and they now have a faith in each other and that and they can speak the common language that maybe would have been a little uncertain before. So it's, it's again, we've talked before about maybe some of the positives that have come out of this and I understand it's a bit silly to talk about the positives of the pandemic, but from a professional operational point of view, the fact that we've there's, there's been these forced arrangements where departments that might not have had the same kind of interaction they have, and now those departments become relied upon resources for each other that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been quite as natural as they are now. That's all great, and it's it's great to hear that kind of alignment on forward thinking plans, like like you said with the innovation department and analytics and things like that. I, I know one other competitive advantage. You know, maybe that the Giants will have is, is something you've spoken about previously is um, turning to behavioral science. Um, and, and just w- wondered if you could talk a, a little bit about that before we finish up because the, the time's flown by. But how can that give you know you and your team a competitive advantage? You know, what types of insight does it provide on, on the players? And I guess in a time like this, that, that could be as crucial as ever to, to think about things around behavioral science. Well, and then if I understand the the question correctly. I mean, we've put a big emphasis. We've always, you know, like every club, we've had player development or player engagement. People call it different things. And we've made some changes in that department recently in that it's it's led now by we, we've hired our first full-time clinician who is also in charge of our player wellness and our player development. And she's done a terrific job so far. And we're seeing tremendous benefits from the addition to our staff. But she also works closely with members of our coaching staff. We've now got them at the front of the room a lot of the time with our player development initiatives. And we're seeing really good benefits from, or, or a lot of significant benefits from that. Um, a, their they're voices at the front of the room that players are accustomed to listening to, as opposed to sometimes it seems like the substitute teachers coming in to talk about player engagement and you don't get full buy-in from the players but two you know we've now got a, a clinical expertise 
and coaches who understand the importance of a player's personal and professional development that can help them outside the building and inside the building. And it's, you know, we're sort of combining a lot of these reasons for focusing on player wellness, player behavior, player development. And um, again, it's early. Um, This is year one of us doing a bit of a lane change with respect to our player development, but we think it's going to be a really effective change for us. Kevin, you, you mentioned there, um, this, this has been great. And this is, this is really like, like Matt said, this has flown by. You mentioned there, you know, personal development for your, uh, for your players in, in the context of, uh, you're a, you're a big reader and you're, uh, you're, you're someone who's always out there. You're very inquisitive. One of the more inquisitive human beings I've ever met inside the National Football League. And I hope you take that as, as, as a compliment. What, what have you read over the last, give, give us something that you've read over the last couple months or that you've listened to that, is, that has kind of helped your thinking um, around how you've responded to COVID or just something that you, you feel like, you know, our listeners out there should probably pick up and, uh, and take a look at. Oddly, I kind of thought that once we got past this draft, you know, I, I didn't think I'd quite be into the, the Netflix and Maps routine that a lot of my friends have been able to do since they've been uh, forced to work from home. But I think that a few things I've, I've listened to or read recently, I took the advice of Ben Charrington. I think he was on your podcast recently. He talked about the new Jim Crow, which I'm only about a third of the way through, but that's a pretty fascinating read, certainly given the times we're living in. And we've had certain more diversity and inclusion conversations in our building than ever before. And it's it's long overdue and it's, and it's terrific that we're here and we have a long way to go. And I think there's a lot of resources in that space right now that are eye-opening, shocking at times, and certainly very useful as we all try and figure out how we can be better. I thought the 1619 podcast series from the New York Times was excellent. I think that uh, my own professional development, I think there's a few books like Super Forecasting that I thought was a pretty interesting read, a bit dense at times for my abilities, but I think the takeaways I thought were, were excellent. But really, I'm trying to listen to as many people as I can and speak to as many people as I can in and around the industry. I mean, obviously, Steve, you've put together some great gatherings online. Matt and, and leaders have done the same. There's been opportunities to speak to people who are looking for those same conversations and everyone's a little more available for those conversations. So I think the last five months have been a a rich and robust environment for creating your own sort of educational path and your own professional development because you had all these resources available that under normal circumstances wouldn't be. And it's been really eye-opening. It's been a lot of fun. It's been uh, a lot of people around the business that I wouldn't have had a chance to meet otherwise. And I'm always impressed with how thoughtful and generous people are with their times and, and best practice sharing. And uh, some of those conversations have just been outstanding. Thank, thank you so much for joining us today, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin, really appreciate your words there, you know, where we find ourselves in the industry. But, um, but yeah, appreciate your time today. Um, you know, I know, I know you're probably busy two days back on the pads for the team. So it must be a very, very exciting time. But we um, wish you guys and, and that new era in, in New York, you know, the best for not only this season, but the seasons ahead. So no, appreciate your time and hopefully see you in the not too distant future, Kevin. Uh, so best of luck to you. No, it's great to talk to you guys. Fantastic as always. And wish you guys the best and, and please keep everyone safe and healthy. That's it for another episode. But if you've enjoyed these podcasts, then you can find many more like it on the Leaders Content Hub, as well as on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform. Check us out on at leaders underscore insight on Twitter as well as all our content will be posted on there by our marketing team. 
Kevin and the Giants were actually founding members of the Leaders Performance Institute and he himself has spoken on stage in London last November. If you want to watch the session of that video on our content hub and access all the other content, virtual learning, events and also engage with 700 members from 150 teams in 25 countries and 20 sports worldwide just like the New York Giants then head over to leadersinsport.com forward slash performance to learn more about the home of total high performance. Once again, thank you to the team behind the team for making this all possible. We're enjoying having these conversations and hopefully you're enjoying listening to them. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon.